0: Psalm 48 this morning and um, the the plan, I we have a new, uh, a bit of a new thing going forward which is going to be the, the a Psalm of the month. So maybe you see that in the bulletin there. Um, each, each month we'll have a different um, Psalm selection that we'll sing uh, each week through that month. And so uh, the, the idea is a couple of things here. One is just that we would have the opportunity to sing and be more familiar with and and learn, maybe memorize to some degree a a particular psalm uh, with with some consistency. Um, But then also I I plan to take one week each month to preach on that psalm. So uh, you'll see this month it's uh, Psalm 48 Selection C, so it's not the entire psalm. Um, and that, that will ordinarily be the case. But uh, moving forward, we'll, we'll take a break from whatever series, other series we're doing and uh, look at that psalm once a month um, for, for the foreseeable future. Uh, next week, I'll be starting a, a series on uh, the book of Habakkuk. Uh, so I encourage you to uh, read that. It's not very long. Uh, it's a great little um, book in the Prophets in the Old Testament, uh, just three short chapters. Um, so we'll probably take uh, about four weeks to, to go through Habakkuk. So that's what's, what's coming if you're interested in, in reading ahead. So let's read together Psalm 48. This is a psalm about a city. Uh, it's all about a city, and it's calling you to, to consider this city and what's special about it. So here God's holy and word from Psalm 48. Great is the Lord. And greatly to be praised in the city of our God, his holy mountain. Beautiful in elevation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. God in her palaces has made himself known as a stronghold. For lo, the kings assembled themselves. They passed by together. They saw it, and they were amazed. They were terrified. They fled in alarm. Panic seized them there, anguish as of a woman in childbirth. With the east wind, you break the ships of Tarshish. As we have heard, so we have seen. In the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God, God will establish her forever. We have thought on your loving kindness, O God, in the midst of your temple. As is your name, O God, so is your praise to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is full of righteousness. Let Mount Zion be glad. Let the daughters, daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments. Walk about Zion. Go around her, count her towers, consider her ramparts, go through her palaces that you may tell it to the next generation. For such is God, our God forever and ever. He will guide us until death. I was six years old uh, when on October 17 in 1991 I went to a baseball game. I went to a baseball game with my dad and and my good friend. Uh, It was the Pittsburgh Pirates versus the Atlanta Braves. And to me, as a six-year-old, I'd been to a number of baseball games in my life. This was just like any other game. There were lots of people there. There was a baseball game. Um, I did remember the Pirates lost. I remember the Braves celebrating quite a bit uh, at the end of the game. Years later, I I learned that this was nearly as big a professional sports game as as you could see. If you know anything about baseball, I I said it was October 17, so it would be a big game being that time uh, of the year. Uh, It had just looked like another baseball game to me, but this was National League Championship Series, Game 7, Pirates and Braves. So winner goes to the World Series, and uh, unfortunately the, the Braves went to the World Series that year. Uh, and the next year uh, I would never become much of a baseball fan at all um 2 years later the pirates began 20 consecutive years of losing seasons um that was that didn't end until the year after I moved to florida so uh never there wasn't even a bandwagon to get on um uh, my whole life but uh there was something that I didn't know as a 6 year old about that game um, that made it a huge, really important game. It kind of drives me nuts today to, to think about that, uh, that I didn't know that. I've never been to a game since then that was that was such a big deal. Um, well, keep in mind that idea of something that, at least on the outside, to those who don't know or understand, seems ordinary, but has a huge significance to those who will see it. And, and we'll see in Psalm 48 that that's the nature of the church. Um in the eyes of the world versus the eyes of, of God's people. So, look, looking at number one on your outline there in the bulletin. Again, the theme throughout this uh, throughout this psalm is a city, and it's a city that's not named. Uh, first couple of verses called the city of God. It says it's it has elevation. Um, it's called Mount Zion. Uh, the city, of course, is Jerusalem. Uh, Mount Zion is often interchangeable for Jerusalem in, in the Old Testament. Mount Zion is the, the mountain that, that Jerusalem is on. There are a lot of, um, a lot of cities have nicknames. If, if I say these nicknames, you, you will likely know which cities I'm talking about. I say the Windy City, or the Big Apple, or the City of Brotherly Love, or Sin City. Uh, Denver, just to our south, before it was more commonly known as the Mile High City, A hundred years ago and for a long time was known as the Queen City of the Plains, the Queen City of the Plains, quite an exalted title. Well, Jerusalem is described similarly in in, in exalted language in this psalm. In in verse two, uh, it's beautiful, beautiful in elevation, sitting there high on the hill. Uh, it's, It's pleasing. It's wonderful to look at is the idea Uh, The the psalm goes on to speak of its its glory and its significance. It's the joy of the whole earth, the psalmist says. It it stands out in comparison somehow with all the other cities of the earth as the beautiful joy of the earth. It it speaks of Jerusalem's security and power. It, It sits up high on a hill. Uh, Verse three mentions great palaces and and your translation may have citadels because it's it's really a fortified palace, a a castle that it's talking about. And then there's this story that illustrates the power and strength of Jerusalem in verses four through six. uh, It recounts a situation where these these kings gathered themselves, probably not in a friendly way uh, at Jerusalem. and, And they were amazed. In fact, they were terrified. They were in anguish and they ended up fleeing Jerusalem because of this, this glorious city. So there's quite a, quite a description of this city here in Psalm 48. And, and we should ask, why, why is, and, and how is Jerusalem described this way? Uh, certainly it's true at times, in, in David's time, in Solomon's time, uh, Jerusalem was prosperous. Uh, Jerusalem did have a significant wall and towers for defense. But so did many other cities in the ancient world. Um, there are other major cities, major powers with bigger walls, bigger towers, bigger armies than Jerusalem. Uh, Jerusalem is decidedly not held as the joy of the whole earth by the rest of the earth. I mean, people in Jerusalem might have thought it was pretty great, uh, but it wasn't. that wasn't the evaluation of the whole world. It wasn't the biggest city. It wasn't the most powerful city probably not the most beautiful city by every measure so what makes this city stand out among all other cities why is it so worthy of of praise so glorious so powerful so secure i'll well, look at number two on on your outlines there it's simply because it's the city of god and, and verse one says in the city of our god his holy mountain Jerusalem is identified with God. It has His name. It has His presence, His holiness. Verse 2 calls it the city of the great king. And that's not King David or Jeroboam or someone. That's, that's King God. The king of the cosmos calls this place home. This is His city. And, and so intimate is God's relationship. So, so certainly has He identified Himself with this city. That the psalm also almost describes the city as, as God is identified with the very physical structure of it. Verse 3, again, God is in her palaces. He's made himself known as a stronghold. Um, it, it's almost uh, um, blurring the lines between what is the city and, and, and what is God. Um, in the sense that it's, it's showing God's presence and his protection. Uh, Stronghold there is is fortress in the NIV or the ESV or or high tower. God is the defense of the city. It's not ultimately about the actual stones and, and towers. It's very similar to Psalm 46. You turn back probably just one page in your Bible to Psalm 46. Look at how that psalm begins. God is our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, the mountains be moved in the heart of the sea, the waters roar and foam, the mountains tremble. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. That's what this city is. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters His voice, and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And then that's how the psalm ends. Again, that very last statement. The absolute security of the psalmist in this city is because God is in it. God defends it as His own city. Uh, It has walls, yes, but God God defends it. Um, He's the fortress. It has armies, but God is the Lord of hosts. Um, Psalm 48 seems also to be a response to some particular deliverance we saw in verses four through six these these kings came against jerusalem and then they ended up fleeing uh, in terror and so verse eight concludes as we have heard so we have seen in the city of our lord uh, city of the lord of hosts in the city of our god god will establish her forever as we've been taught we've heard about this great god we've heard this is his city that he defends it now we've seen a great demonstration that this is the city of God. Because He's the Lord of hosts. Again, it's the title used in Psalm 46. What, what does it mean? He's the Lord of hosts. We don't use that word in this way really anymore. We use the word host in a totally different way, like a dinner host or something. But hosts translates to a Hebrew word that means armies. It just means armies. He is the Lord of armies. And He's given that title 261 times in the Old Testament. The Lord of armies, it points to God's glory. Psalm 24, lift up your heads, O gates, lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies. He is the King of glory. That title points to the fact that he's, He's Lord over all the armies, all of the kingdoms of the whole earth. Isaiah 37, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. So the, the reason for the confidence of this psalm, the confidence of the Israelites in Jerusalem, that God will establish it forever, as this psalm says, is that there's, there's no army that could come against Jerusalem that wasn't under the command of the Lord of hosts. Uh, he is the Lord of armies and He is our God the psalm says there's another interesting comparison made in this psalm in verse two Uh, look at verse two again it describes Jerusalem beautiful in elevation the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion in the far north that's a very strange statement Mount Zion in the far north Um, it's it's a very difficult translation of that that phrase here and you'll find uh, fairly sharply different ways of translating that different um, different translations Um, The the first word, well, it's it's problematic on its face uh, to speak of Zion in the far north, because if you know anything about Palestine, Zion is not in the far north. It's not even in the slightly north. (laughs) Uh, It's it's sort of in the south, right? Look in the the map in the back of your Bible. For anyone living in Jerusalem or or who is situated to Israel uh, as a nation, um, that, that doesn't necessarily seem to make sense, but the, the first word after the word Zion there in, in Hebrew really means on the far side of, or beyond. So it's it's literally it's an even more extreme statement if it's saying something about the north, beyond the north. Now, there's really no sense in which Jerusalem could be beyond the north. It's not even in the north. Um, and and the translators have have taken a more figurative translation here as we'll see and um, sort of stretch that to say in the far north. Uh, the, the next word there in the sequence is Zaphon. So there's there's not actually a literal word for north here. Um, it's the word Zaphon. So beyond Zaphon. Um, now, Zaphon could mean, to Babylonians, for example, it could mean the north. It could be a reference to the north. It's not their word for north, but there's a Mount Zaphon that's very significant in the north. And just as we might say, um, you know, I'm, I'm driving towards Longspeak, and I don't say the word west, but you know that's the direction I'm going. Or the, In the Old Testament, uh, very often, west is um, indicated by the sea or the setting of the sun. I actually use the word west. So it could figuratively mean north, uh, but there is a literal Mount Zaphon. There's a reference to that mountain in the book of Isaiah. Um, and so another possible translation, the, the literal translation of this verse is simply uh, beyond Mount Zaphon, more than Mount Zaphon. Um, there's a comparison being made between Mount Zion and and Mount Zephon. Mount Zion is more beautiful, more secure, more important than Mount Zephon. That'd be a remarkable statement because Mount Zephon to the Babylonians and the other pagan nations there, was the equivalent of Mount Olympus, to the Greeks, to the Greek Empire. Mount Olympus is the center of the universe. That's where the gods live. That's the mountain. There's no more important place. That's what Mount Zephon is to the Babylonians and others. And so the psalmist is saying that what's what's pretended by the Gentiles for Mount Zaphon, this is the place where the gods dwell, is actually true, is reality for Mount Zion. Mount Zion is far greater. It's not in the far north. It's far greater than Mount Zion than than Mount Zaphon. Even though Mount Zion is just a, it's not really a mountain. It's just a bump geographically. It's nothing like Mount Lebanon or Mount Zaphon. God, the true God, the only true God, our God, lives there on Mount Zion. Think about Denver again. Uh, Denver, by most accounts, is a, a large, well-known, in some ways important city, in many ways a, a beautiful city, a beautiful setting. Um, again, it was once called the Queen of uh, the Queen City of the Plains, at least before you know, the the traffic and the smog and maybe some of the things we point to today, but still certainly many significant and beautiful things about that city that are clearly recognized and acknowledged to many people visit it. I come from, uh, I was raised in a a very small town, um, economically depressed, nothing particularly significant or well-known about it. There's a few people scattered around and know their college there. A few more people seem to know that Joe Namath was raised there, um, but beyond that, it's it's not a significant place. It, there's no tourism. Um, now, I love the town that I came from for many reasons, but they're not reasons or things that are immediately obvious to someone passing through that, or that draw people to um, come there in droves. It, it's not a huge city. Uh, there are no big flashy amusements. Um, nothing... Uh, you know, nothing spectacular to see like the Rocky Mountains or, or things that other cities have. It's it's important and significant to me, the most beautiful city in a sense to me, because of to some degree lesser, lesser seen factors, lesser widely appreciated factors. The people and, and the memories and the community uh, that, that raised me. That's similar to to what's being said about Jerusalem or the different ways that it would be seen. Even though it's not the most powerful city, it's not the largest city, it's not the most significant uh, city in in the eyes of the world or in the ancient world uh, by those who didn't acknowledge the God of the city. And yet it was, in a real sense, the most important, the most significant, the most secure city in the world. A city that would, in a sense... It was and would be the city of the one and true God. Well, before we look at the rest of this psalm, I I just want to begin to get at what what does this mean for us? What does this mean for the church today? So looking at number three on your outline, how do we understand uh, and and begin to think about and apply what this psalm says to us? The Old Testament speaks about Jerusalem and Mount Zion a lot, Uh, but it's, it's not... A reference to the significance is not in the the buildings, the stones, the towers themselves. It's the people of Jerusalem. This is where God lives with his people. Uh, God's covenant with his beloved people is not a covenant with palaces or with the dirt on top of Mount Zion. It's a commitment to live with and be the God of his people forever. Whether that was Jerusalem or or somewhere else. Jerusalem and the temple were destroyed. They destroyed um, at one time, and then uh, again in seventy A.D. Still, is no temple today. The New Testament writers, though, were already clear about what Jerusalem, what the temple pointed to—to to, to a new Jerusalem, a new temple—and the destruction of the old Zion, which has happened multiple times—the building, the walls, the towers, and so on—did not mean that God was giving up on His promises. They they were after 70 AD, after Christ ascended, these promises were exploded around the world. God's people are around the world now, no longer focused in one place. Jerusalem does not any longer have any of this theological significance as a city, as a as a location geographically. Uh, Ephesians 2 says of the household of God that's built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone in whom the the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. The significance of the temple of Jerusalem is applied to the whole church in the New Testament. To you. The church around the world being built into a new city. The city of God. Hebrews 12 puts this clearly and powerfully. It says, But you... You, New Testament believer, have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Now, I've never been to Mount Zion, the literal Mount Zion. Maybe some of you have. It says, you have come to Mount Zion and to the innumerable angels in festal gathering and the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all and the spirits of the righteous made perfect. This, This whole assembly... Of all the people of God in all the world is, is Jerusalem, is the city of God. And so God's promises, His commitment to Jerusalem, when we read of that in the Old Testament, this is His commitment to you. To His church. You are the new Jerusalem. You are the city of God. The great King is your King. The Lord of hosts, the King of kings, is your Lord of armies. God is the refuge, the defense of the church. God lives in you. His church. And that basic promise of the Old Testament is still in force I will be your God. You will be my people. I will, I will dwell with you. And except and um, rather than that being in, in, in little Jerusalem, in Palestine, the, the whole world would be and, and is, in a sense, filled with, with people who love Him. Uh, the city of God. That the beauty and glory and security and joy of Jerusalem, Psalm 48, is yours as the church in Christ. Well, turn to number four on your outline then. And In light of praising the glory of God, the glory he gives his people, the security he gives in, in this city, the, the, the psalmist fires off five imperatives, five commands here in verses 12 through 13. Walk about Zion and go around her. Count her towers. Consider her ramparts. Go through her palaces. It's commands. I, I preached on this psalm years ago and someone right before the service asked what I was preaching on. I said Psalm 48. And he said, oh, the walkabout psalm. This is the walkabout psalm. It's the command is to walk about Jerusalem. It's encouraging God's people to inspect, to think about this city of God. Walk about it. That it is. Check it out. Go around her, it says. That is, go, uh, the New King James says, go all around her. Go, uh, look at every part of the city. Count her towers. That is, they, they, the people of Israel are called to consider and keep track of what Jerusalem was. Consider. Uh, uh, the sense there is, is to pay attention, to, to recognize the meaning or the significance. That word translated consider is often the Old Testament uh, take it to heart or something like that what is what does this mean? Again, it's not a call to the Israelites to be impressed by the stones or, or how tall the towers were or how big the army was and so on. It was a call to inspect, to think about, to meditate on, to remember, to know the God of the city, the God of the church, right? It's about it's about God's people. Um, immediately following, in verse fourteen, the last verse here, it concludes, for such is God, or for this is God. For this is God. Wait, I thought this this was the city. We were just describing the city. And then the psalmist says, for this is God. The, the point is, this city and, and its history and all that God has done for Jerusalem reveals God and His relationship with His people. The the command is to see who God is to the church, what He's done for the church, what He's promised, how He's committed Himself to uh, sinful, rebellious people who have failed over and over again. Uh, We read about that over and over in the Old Testament. And God has pursued them over and over again. It's it's summarized also in verse 9. We have thought on Your loving kindness, O God, in the midst of Your temple. That's the point to think about. Look around. Think about the loving kindness, the faithfulness of God. I want you to realize the strength and encouragement that you can gain from this. How, how do we obey these commands? Right? We don't understand Jerusalem to have this theological significance anymore, but we don't live there anyways. We can't walk around Jerusalem. Well, again, it's it's to consider what, what God has done for the church. That was the point even for the Israelites in this original setting. How do we obey these commands? We, we do so when we look in the Bible and we see God's people fail over and over again. They show their weaknesses and they show their sins. Or the people of God face earthly powers that were much greater than they had in themselves. They face overwhelming odds. And yet God was their God. He was faithful. He defended them. He forgave them. It's a command not only to see that in the Bible, but to see that in in church history. Again, a a reason to study church history. The the story of church history is the story of uh, failure and division and abuse and false teaching and all kinds of sad things, and yet it's the story of the city of God and God's faithfulness. Church history is not a study of dates and names and so much as it is a story of God and His faithfulness. That's how we count the towers and walk about the city. We see how God has built up and been faithful uh, to His church. We can obey these commands as we look at our own congregation our own lives and review the, the ramparts uh, as it were. What God has done. Again, we'll we'll see, and uh, I haven't been uh, in this congregation very long still, so you you can't think that I'm referring to anything particular in our in our history. I wasn't there, but certainly, if we reviewed our history, we would see weakness and sin and failure, struggle to get along at times, division. We, We lack the tools and the power of the world. Walk around, walk about Zion, go around her, count her towers, consider her ramparts, go through her palaces. For this is God, our God forever and ever. He will guide us until death. All right. You don't have any strength in yourself. We don't as the church to be this indestructible, eternal city that, that's described here. But, but consider Zion, consider the church. This is what we are in God. Consider what what God has done over the past 20 plus years in this congregation. Consider His faithfulness. Uh, Derek Kidner puts the application of this psalm this way. For the Christian singer of the psalm, there is a corresponding encouragement to review the towers and ramparts of the church. A community as indestructible as a fortress, yet as vulnerable undefended as a flock of sheep. Jerusalem was destroyed at times when God's people turned away from Him. They forgot that it was the city of God. And God withdrew His protection. Uh, we are this indestructible, secure city. We're part of it if, simply if our faith is in Him. The psalm again calls these Israelites to think about this city, to look at it, think about its history, why it is what it is, what it means that Zion is where God dwells. What does that mean for you? What does that mean for this church? This congregation? Where God dwells? What does it mean for you in your life? As you review those things in your life, consider her ramparts. Again, that that word means set it to your hearts. Take it to heart. Take in the significance. Let Let it change you. And that's where I want to turn to in the last point here. As this psalm points us to being affected, being changed by... Walking about the city, considering what God has done for the city of God. So, how are you to be affected or changed? A few things. First, uh, doing this shows you your great God. That's what we've just been saying. It shows you your great God that you would know him better, the, the great God that we call our God. Uh, you see his glory and his holiness in reviewing what he's done uh, for the church. You know him as the Lord of hosts. Again, this is a, ought to prompt us to be interested to know the history of the church. Church history is just the study of the Lord of hosts smashing the gates of hell over and over again. Uh, the loving kindness, verse 9, that the God's faithfulness to His covenant. We, we know that better. We know our God better through reviewing what He's done through His church. We can't help but be changed to love Him more, to serve Him and His church more willingly. and and loyally secondly it also ought to bring you joy it brings you joy verse 11 let mount zion be glad let the daughters of judah rejoice because of your judgments when you consider what god has done for his church how he's built up zion how he's been faithful to the church if you understand rightly what what that really means that the grace that it reveals it brings joy Rooted in the knowledge that your enemies are God's enemies. God lives with His people forever. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Uh, does the church of Christ, despite all of its struggles and weaknesses, make you glad? That's a challenge. The church is not always the most lovable or joyful thing uh, on the face of the earth. It's it's certainly not the greatest of institutions by worldly measures. But, um, Power or finances or things like that but by true judgments the church is like Jerusalem the most beautiful secure joy-giving thing that that you can know if, if you see it rightly. That's why it's so sad when people try to make the church look like the world right the, the beauty and the joy and the security of the church is it's in its, it is in its distinction from the rest of the world. And so when the church is made like the world, big or flashy or wealthy or entertaining or, or whatever it is, whatever the effort is, it's, its power, its importance is not in those things. Rather, it's simply that in the fact that God is in the midst of her, as this psalm says. Right? That's what keeps us in the church interested, committed, loving. If, if you just drift away from the church because it's not your style or it wasn't exciting enough or it wasn't what your friends were doing, You haven't understood why the church is the most important thing in the world. It's the city of God. It's where we meet with God and see him most intimately and actively uh, acting uh, and giving grace in this world. And thirdly, uh, it leads you to tell others. It leads you to tell others. And and as this psalm particularly points us, uh, particularly your children. That, that final purpose is explicitly given in verse 13. Consider her ramparts, go through her palaces, so that you may tell it to the next generation. Now, part of the purpose of walking around this city, as it were, is so that you would tell your children. You would pass on stories about this great God, this great king of this great city to your children. Are you passing on a love for the church to your children? To your grandchildren uh, intentionally showing them that the church and its service and its fellowship especially in its worship its communion with the God of this city uh, is is the priority in your life I think we have a, a particular need in our day and age to lean against individualism individualism is old as as the fall but it's a particular uh, characteristic of our society we we need to be encouraged not to raise little individualistic christians rather ones who love and are committed to the body of christ verse six, verse 14 he is our god right he will guide us corporately together i would say in, in large part certainly not in not in whole but in large part to point your kids to christ is to point them to his body to the church the way that works out is is The local church, right? The visible local church. This is where we see most intimately the God, God at work in and through His people. Right? We see and know Him as our fortress. We are together the city of God. Uh, Even if on the outside, the church appears full of sinful and messy people, and and it is. We are. Right. this is where we meet with God as his temple for, uh, to be the family of God, for corporate worship of God. So do you love the church? Is it central to your life and thinking? Uh, consider the church and let that reflection on God's holy city uh, change you. Let's pray together.